0: I pulled it out of distribution royalties. So stuff I had left over from selling films, and a good friend of mine had done a big, actually a big deal on one of his films for Canadian television. So I literally called him and I'm like, I need to put this money in the bank so we can get this film rolling. And I took a hit on it. I think he's like, yeah, yeah, I'll give it to you. And like, we'll just take 10 points off it. I'm like, I don't care. Just get the money in the bank so we can make this happen.
1: Welcome to Best in Fest. I'm Leslie Lepage, the uh, director of the L'Femme International Film Festival. This is a podcast for everyone who wants to learn about entertainment, film, TV, and the dirty little secrets that make it all click and work. And today, I'm super excited to have Jonathan Lipka and Ryan Keller, uh, producers of Happy F and sunshine. But before we get into that, um, uh, Jonathan, oh my goodness, he actually has distribution in his background and was key in creating um, Other Animal, which was given to him by Ryan, his partner, as they were reading scripts, trying to figure out how on earth they could uh, get together and support the wonderful creative film makers in the industry, then produce uh, Poor Agnes, which Laura Burke went on to play. And Ryan was from Canada, moving to Toronto, and his work on Second City's Facebook of Revelations Anthology earned him a nomination for Best Director at the Canadian Comedy Awards and Screenings and numerous festivals and awards. He was also an attorney. We're going to talk about where you went from that to this. He co-founded the company Other Animal with uh, Jonathan, and I'm super happy to have both of you guys on the show today. Where did you guys meet? (laughs) How did this relationship form?
0: At a bar in Ryan's neighborhood, actually.
1: Uh, do you guys really like each other? Or do you guys really like each other? Or is it, you know, just at this point, you guys are completely done? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, we're doing an MMA film coming up, and I think him and I are going to be in the body doubles just to take our stuff out on each other. <laughs> that's good. That's
2: good. It's so tense. It's so tense.
0: <laughs> we we legitimately met at a bar. Actually, uh, two a friend of ours introduced the two of us because I had been doing well. I've been running events, parties, and I've been doing writing for film, doing some music for film. Ryan was looking for a composer for one of the shorts he was working on, and that's kind of how we came together for the first time. And We got obliterated drunk actually which you know if you come to our festival party, I hope you do. Uh, I will introduce you to the uh, the other animal special.
1: Is that where the name came from because you guys are just party animals
0: you take let the lawyer take this one please
2: <laughs> um, yeah I think I have to kind of step back a little bit and talk about sort of the type of films we were trying to make and I think other animal was a little bit of a, of an extension of this this plan that Jonathan and I. Um, Had put together. Um, You know, as I mentioned, I came from rural Canada. um, For the American audiences, about eight hours north of Minneapolis, and I think I literally got on a Greyhound bus with a piece of straw in my mouth and rode for about thirty hours to Toronto and was trying to figure out the film business. Um, And I'd been doing some production for a while, and I was really interested in sort of getting into long form content. And that's how I got introduced to Jonathan, you know, he was doing some distribution and you were, you started running your theater there, John, where you were putting a whole bunch of independent projects through. And uh, we started talking about sort of the types of projects that we wanted to do together. And we, you know, we kind of quickly realized that we had this sort of, this sort of shared interest in making these independent films that I think we called it, uh, you know, character dramas dressed up in genre clothes. Uh, you know, John was very much audience, 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 right? The audience experience is huge, and I was like, production. This is how we can do this. So we kind of put our minds together, and other animal was, uh, you know, sort of the the description of that. You know, we thought it was a good sort of description of the types of projects we were trying to make together.
1: Mm. Well, well, let's just jump back for one second. Attorney turned filmmaker, distribution turned filmmaker, musical writer lyricist turn filmmaker how did that transition go for both of you to
2: where we are now well for me it's kind of full circle um, you know I started in film long before I, I got interested in law so I had been working in production and I'd been directing some independent projects you know you'd mentioned the second city. Uh, you know, And I reached a point where I realized that I was, I was pretty interested in getting into sort of feature films and sort of maybe the higher side of the business. So I just kind of on a whim one day applied to law school and was shocked when I got in. Um, so basically I went to law school to sort of learn the, the entertainment side of the business while continuing to sort of, I think I directed a film when I was in law school and John and I were in development in poor Agnes like while I was doing law exams. Um, so it's been a bit of a, f- a full circle where the law was kind of complementary to the production, and now I've kind of, it's kind of taken me back to production.
0: And
1: Jonathan, and what and your trail? Uh,
0: it's like it's pretty long and weavy. I mean, like I had always been involved in the arts for a very long time. I'd done like Nuit Blanche. I did a massive inf- inst- installation in Toronto in the first year, first or second year in Nuit Blanche. I toured some of the art. I've been doing music and performed when I was younger, I went through an art school. Um, and I always loved it, but the the thing that we I found personally in Toronto, because I wasn't coming out as an actor, I wasn't coming as a specific artist, I didn't really want to go into like the trades because I never really felt connected to that. I'm like, how do I make this happen, right? Which is when uh, when Ryan and I had first met, my, I think it was like, I want to figure out how to basically pay for my life, creating the art, but not being dependent on somebody else to pay. And that's basically producing right there. You put the pieces together, figure out how the money works. And then I realized in doing that, I'm like, how the fuck do I sell this? Like, honestly, like, I need to build an audience. I need to understand an audience. So I I got my feet wet and a little bit of distribution, and I started really working very, very intently at working the PR to understand the communications channel and how that waterfalls out to the public because that builds your audience. And then with that, moved into the theater and started getting that feedback and understanding um, how the audience interacted specifically with the content based on the communication. And that's kind of what came together when we were talking about, What is the opportunity to create emotionally driven content for an audience that has a genre so you can connect into what they're feeling and at the same time monetize it. So we can go back and do this again and we can continue to pay the artists and build the artists up. And like just being able to do that from taking that raw piece of talent and then moving it to a public was phenomenal. Like I'm addicted to that. If anything in this business, I wanna do that over and over again. So that's kind of why we built the company is to be able to create that cycle where we can continue to do that and build people around us.
1: Well, that's kind of interesting because a lot of the entertainment business on the business side don't necessarily want to support, you know, the creatives want to nurture that unfound talent. So you guys are doing an unusual thing within the straight model. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, for us, it was, you know, it was very exciting when we were casting poor Agnes, when, when, you know, the casting director we were working with said, I I found somebody who I don't think you're ready for. She's incredible. And, you know, it was the first feature that Laura had ever done. And then, you know, after working with us and all the success out of poor Agnes, you know, went on to do like life changer and for the sake of vicious and motherly, you know, and she's just become this sort of genre staple, so it's very rewarding to sort of, I mean, Laura's talent is what got her all of those roles, but just to know that sort of like that, that model, that, that there was a bit of a pathway for that, you know, that's very cool.
1: But it's a its a really daring model. It's not, it's not the straight up, we have to bring in the established person, A-lister, B-lister to guarantee distribution model that a lot of our podcasters have heard from, you know, straight up distribution people, you, you, you see? So you're you're finding this and then and then because you had such success, you guys do it again.
2: Well, and it's funny because, you know, when we were talking about Happy F and Sunshine and and, and figuring out how to do it, we did look to that model. Um, You know, originally we had gone out to some big people um, and we've gotten really good feedback on the script. But what it always came back to is that there was a sacrifice, right? Like their schedules were tight. There was there was, you know, a quote attached to it. And one of the things from the production background, I'd always said to Jonathan, as I said, the thing I like about the genre piece is it gives us an into an audience, um, and it lets us take some risks where now we're not building our production around the schedules and needs of one or two people. So when we did that, it allowed us to make an ensemble musical, which is something I would never suggest somebody tries in the independent space. Um but we were able to move those resources, and you know, we looked for this, this sort of to do it again with this really raw, talented cast that we thought could knock our socks off, and take all of those resources that we would have had to put into the the triple bangers and everything, and get it onto the screen. So this, you know, Happy F and Sunshine was really the the extension of what we tried in Poor Agnes, and and lo and behold, it, it worked. I mean, it hasn't. The world hasn't seen it, and I'm I'm very excited for the response. But you know, to to give ourselves maybe a little pat on the back. Like I'm kind of blown away with what our team, and I say our team is, our team is much larger than Jonathan and I. Um, You know, shout outs to our incredible production designer, Stephanie Avery, and all of the people that have put it together. But you know, what we were able to accomplish in that space, I mean, we're we're pretty pretty excited to share it with everybody at Dances With Films.
1: Which is gonna be screened uh, June 10th for anyone that's in Los Angeles uh, that wants to, you know, jump on in and see that screening but we'll we'll promote that towards the end uh, let's just jump back to to agnes so let's talk about the storyline let's talk about the discovery of that piece and then the casting process to then to to, to then go okay we, yes we want her and then i want to talk about that distribution model and how you got distribution on that because it's fascinating this this whole train you've been on
2: yeah, I mean, John can maybe tell you about the day I phoned him about poor Agnes and how it all started.
0: So let's go.
2: <laughs> oh
0: yeah, for sure. <laughs> so I, I'm on a mega bus, you know, those double layer buses, they're blue and there's that like character on the back. I'm going from Toronto over to Montreal for a sandwich. I'm like literally Schwartz's. If you haven't been to Montreal, literally just jump on a plane and go to there. Now we can cancel this interview. Just go and do that Stay Like make it, make it important. We can get back to this after you've done the sandwich. So this is a this is a ridiculous thing I was doing. I mean, uh, like I I mean, ask Ryan I, when we went to Fantasia. I was like, we need to go to this restaurant. I need to take you guys there. We literally sat right by. It was a with le, 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 le filet, le filet We anyway. So we're, yeah,
2: that's right. You won't you won't talk distribution until you figured out where we're gonna have well, dinner. Hey, now.
0: like like anybody who's into distribution, yeah, exactly, exactly. Get that hunger for. <laughs> get the hunger satiated. So I, I, I literally, I got my laptop open, I got the phone in my hand, and I'm on the, I, I literally had just left the theater, I left it for some, and I'm like, I just need to do this, I need to take a day, go do this, whatever. And I'm there, and I'm I'm reading another script, I can't even remember what it was, because we were reading, I don't know, how many did you read, like 30? And I, like, at least, that I had read at least and we were sharing yeah, there was a lot we were yeah
2: because we basically told everybody who would listen yeah. we were now ready to produce an indie film uh, and of course you know that's not you don't hear that every day is like, no we're gonna we're gonna raise some money and we're gonna do it we just gotta yeah. find the right script and yeah so yeah we had a lot and of interest and like,
0: unfortunately i remember one or two excellent scripts but not what we needed and not really kind of the the spirit of what we're talking about and ryan picks up the phone and it was a it was a web series right it was it was like you need to read this and I'm like, uh, sure. I, that's the that's the first time you called me that excited. And I mean you can tell like Ryan's very even. I'm kinda like all over the place. I'm a sine wave and he's like a straight graph. <laughs> And he's like, you need to read this. But the level of excitement was about like one or two decibels above what you're seeing here. And I'm like, this is important. I need to check into this. Okay. I need to see what this is. And I flipped it out. I flipped it open on my phone. I have my computer open, but I'm like, I'm gonna read it on my phone because he sent it to me. And I start reading this and I was like, I'm seeing Agnes, and I'm I'm terrified. I'm on this bus like vibrating with energy and the person next to me is like, what are you reading? I'm like, it's a script. We're gonna, we're gonna make this. And I'm like, I call them back and I think it's in 20 minutes. I'm like, yeah, I'll, 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 find the fucking money for this. We'll just make this happen. Let's do this because I have not seen this before. And the amount of content, like I'm watching like today, I'm still watching like six to eight hours of content. If I'm at home, it's on and I'm trying to pay attention to the pieces to understand the audience. And when I saw this, I was like, wow, if we could get the right talent for this, like just some a raw, like unknown, like like actor to put into it and really kind of let her take the role and develop it. Like it would just, it would just blow up. Like we, I could see that connection because I'd already been doing and helped us set up some genre festivals. I've been handling genre, like a lot of genre publicity um, and just seeing the way that the audience is responding and what they're kind of were looking for. And I'm like, there was nothing like this. And I guess like after it came out, people are like comparing it to portrait, of, uh, like Henry portrait of serial killer and some other ones when I'm like, it still doesn't have the same kind of, uh, that, there's this weird, uncomfortable emotion to it where you're still rooting for and you're like, man, I hate you, but there's that you just want to connect and you know, there's a disconnect because she's a serial killer. Like it was phenomenal. And that's basically where it started. And then we, you know, did what we could to make it happen.
1: So how did you get the money for this? Was this self-funded? Uh, where did you, you had the passion, you found the project, and, and, and you're as you're going through trying to cast this, you're looking for the money, right? So where did that land for you?
0: I, I pulled it out of distribution royalties. So stuff I had left over from selling films, and a good friend of mine had done a big, actually a big deal on one of his films for Canadian television, which is another story altogether. So I literally called him, and I'm like, I know we're talking, like, it's like, I think it was another six months to get the full payment. And I'm like, I need to put this money in the bank so we can get this film rolling. And I took a hit on it. And I think he, he's like, yeah, yeah, I'll give it to you. And like, we'll just take 10 points off And I'm like, I don't care, just get the money in the bank so we can make this happen. And then I had other revenue coming in from the businesses and I literally just funneled that in. And then our, one of our current partners as well, um, he threw in 10, cause he really like, he loves what we've been doing and the idea of it. And then we brought it all together. That's basically it. And then for the distribution piece, <laughs> Um, I, I'm like, how much, how much, uh,
1: for the distribution piece, for the distribution piece, you know, unlike a lot of filmmakers that have to go off and and secure distribution and don't really know that model, you were already a couple of steps ahead because you had already been in that, that world. So when you took this, you know, how, how much of a fast track did you, did you work with it to get it out
0: there? It, it, It was honestly, it wasn't a fast track. When we, when we had originally gone to the broadcasters in Canada, because that's a, that's an easy, used to be an easier thing for us to bring a film, and they'd be like, yes, we need the content. It's good. We'll do it. I literally got a call back, and they're like, if you can win awards, if you can get enough publicity, like enough uh, response on it, you can prove there's audience for it. They said national press is what I think they said to you. If you can get national, national press. press. National press. National press. Uh and then I also needed to do like you know at least a three city release in in, in Canada and I, we got more than that. It's like if you could do all this stuff, then we'll sign the deal. And I literally I took that and I followed up. You know, just letting them know what's going on. And then when I got a little bit of pushback at the end, and I was like, because this is like at the tail end after we done the theatrical, we got the national press, we got international press, we got a ton. It was it was fantastic. Um, I picked up and I called the broadcaster and I was like. So we did everything you say. So does that mean we can close this deal finally? And literally, they're like, uh, "Yeah, I guess, I guess we do." And that was that was how we got the television deal. Like, like, I, I yeah, I, I kid you not.
1: You gotta love Canadians, man. Because in Hollywood, they wouldn't necessarily keep their word.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, w- I wouldn't have taken that promise to the bank. But I mean, there was a lot of it was a long process of you know. I remember calling John, and he's like, "I well, challenge accepted. Like, I'm going to do everything in my power to to make this happen." You know, and then once we found out we had the Fantasia premiere, we were like, oh, we're going to premiere at Fantasia. Like, that's a big check in the box, you know, <laughs> forever grateful to Mitch Davis. Uh, and then, uh, you know, working, the, seeing the publicity. And then once, you know, the the, the Fantasia premiere is when I think we kind of, because you never know, right? You just never, know. you always think your film's great. You never know. And we're sitting in the audience at Fantasia and like, it's the quietest screening I've ever been to. At the end, nobody clapped. And I think they just sat there and like there wasn't a word. And I'm like, oh, they hated it. And then, like, we went out to the lobby and I'm like, I don't know. And and John's like, no, no, I was at the back sitting next to people. Like, they were just that uncomfortable. They were that into it. And I'm like, really? And then I remember we went back to our hotel and we're like, I don't know what's going to happen. And then it was, ain't it cool? Dropped that review like a couple hours later and called it a small masterpiece with big ideas. And I'm just like, Bleh! that was it. You know, and then, and you know, we talk about distribution, like, there was a lot of a lot of attention. It's it's amazing how you can go from zero to 120 in about one screening if, if the right people say the right things, and that's exactly what
0: happened. And when when we played Toronto After Dark, so we played we played a bunch of other festivals afterwards. Um, so Toronto After Dark, which is our hometown, um, they gave us they bumped us up. I think we were in 140 seat, 100, 200 seat theater, something like that, in Montreal. Yeah, and then in Toronto it was like 600 seats or something like that, packed solid and literally roar as soon as it finished. Like it was like, before the, the credits even started rolling, pe- people were like up in their chairs and we were like, wow, just on the the impact, I guess, knowing, uh, you know, seeing Laura's performance and hearing about it in advance, really having that story come out, they just were primed for it, it was phenomenal.
2: And that's where she won the acting award, right? She won Best Performer at Toronto After Dark for that, which was awesome.
1: So after having this, his this huge success, you know, a lot of people have a hard time doing that follow-up, right? Film do finding it and, and getting that passion. Did you know you wanted to stay in that genre? Did you want to break that? Like, what was your thought process? Do you want to like, do you want to duplicate or do you want to create something new? Right?
2: So here, here's where it gets, it gets funny, right? Because we were looking at other projects and we had happy F and sunshine. And I'm like, you know, because I'm, you know, one of the co-writers of this project, I was like, I really want to make this film. And so I went to John, who's my business partner, and said, we're going to make this film. And John's like, no, no one's going to care. And I was like, what? I'm like, John, the, the characters are like, I love these characters. Like, I love the thing. He's like, oh no, it's all really good. Just no one will care. And I'm like, What are you talking about? And he's like, "Well, you're not. We're not following our own model with this film." He's like, "If you want to do the genre piece of it as this rock and roll film, he's like, it's not actually on the page, man." And I remember obviously not feeling super excited after that conversation, but kind of came around to the realization that John was absolutely right. You know, we had these great foundations uh, of a story, but it wasn't going to hit the model that we were trying to build. So I kind of went back to the drawing board and said, okay, I'm going to like work this now as a rock and roll film. And in a lot of ways, it was exactly the same as Agnes. Because Agnes was this amazing voice in the web series, and I, I had a lot of time sort of working in development to turn that into a feature that would capture that. You know, With Happy F and Sunshine, it was like we had the same you know thing with the characters. All of the bones were there, and now the work was to get it into the genre form that we thought audiences would respond to. And also find a cast that could breathe life into this. And the thing about Happy Even Sunshine that's so different is it's an ensemble that's set in, like, northwestern Ontario, Canada. Like, it's specifically the voice of these mill towns. And trying to figure out how to get those two things to work, you know, it took a bit of time. So... Even like to the point where we you know, we I'll talk a little bit about how we found this amazing cast. And then after we found them, I was like, Oh, I still need to do work on this script. So like post-casting, post what I thought was a production white. I did so much work after I saw these incredible actors come in. I was like, I really need to get this. And then, you know, working with our director Derek, as he was starting to rehearse them on the music and stuff, we realized there was a lot more opportunities in it. So, you know, by that point, because Agnes, you know, Agnes was a was a knockout hit for us, but it was a micro, like it was a micro budget hit. You know, whereas Happy F and Sunshine is not. You know, we we were able to tap into some of the the funds up here, and we were able to start bringing some more money to the table. So it was just, is a you know, it was a whole other thing that we had to kind of figure out.
1: Did you use the Did you use the cast? Because you mentioned that you had a lot of work once you found the cast. You said, wait, hold on, <laughs> let me fix this stuff. Did you utilize the cast and the cast voices then, now that you had put them in their characters, to to rework the script to help those actors with those voices? What was that for you?
2: To, to a certain extent, yes. Um, there was a couple of arcs that once I saw them, and I remember I remember, like, you know, for example, there's a, there's a character, River, and our, it was Stephanie, our production designer, came to me and said, you know, her, she's pretty weak on the page. Fix that. And I was like, man, eh, you're right. Fix that. But the biggest thing was in the band, um, because it was really hard to write a story about all the characters, but then have a musical journey. And once we had these people together... Like, when we first started rehearsing them, John was working as the music supervisor for all the licensed music and was digging and bringing back all these cues. We were building the soundtrack, and then I wrote all of the original music for the film. Um, I'd only written maybe one or two of the pieces, and then as I I met the characters and started to see this imaginary band that we put together, basically had to go back and kind of write all the demo tracks for, like, their album, more or less. So, and as that happened, then we realized that within those sessions where the band was playing, there was a lot of opportunity. And then then the last step was giving those actors room, right? Remember like Matt Close, who plays Will, who's just like, if ever there was a textbook definition of a prodigy, it's Matt Close, you know, came up to me very sheepishly because he'd done Nothing, and he like, "Is it okay if I say this line or that line?" And I realized, like, he was just doing text work at like the level of the best. And I was like, "Matt, you absolutely can like make this your own." So they really breathed a ton of life into those scenes and those dialogue, you know, beyond what was on the page.
1: Right. Um, interesting. Interesting that 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 was your creative process. Now, Jonathan, when you got this completed. How did you jump into selecting the festivals? And I know you guys are in that that niche right now. So what's that process been like now that the the film is finished and it's its own entity?
0: Well, honestly, COVID blew all of that up. So we had gone to Berlin in 2019 with an incomplete film. 2020. Um, Oh, it was 2020. That's right. That's right. I was actually planning on being in Italy just right after Berlin, which is when everything got locked down. And we literally flew out of the country and came back to North America. Um, so we had been talking to some of the programmers. We've been talking to some of the um, like other uh, distrib- distributors and sales agents to trying to figure out a path for this. And it went from having great conversations. All right, we're going to work this. You know, Let's just get this like pandemic over to literally everybody scrambling saying we have no idea what's going to happen and then panic like panic panic and then I called some of the festival programmers. I know some of the TRA festivals and like we can't take anything because one we have to go down to like from like 300 or 200 films this year down to like 20 to 40 films we don't even know how to what we're going to place and we have commitments to make sure that the audience gets the the films they want, and the filmmakers we we have been championing uh, get their titles out, and we're just like okay. And it was festival after festival, and like just talking to all the all the different editors that I had, and I'm like, well, it's kind of we're like, well, we're just gonna have to wait, like legitimately, which is good because it gave us time to really you know dive in and, and polish out the music, polish out the editing, really bring this to the level where it is now. And then when we uh, when we saw it was kind of calming down, we were we we're looking at our strategy, and we wanted to do, like get the film to the public this year, like really figure out a way to push it out. And it was like, do we go after the big festivals? And again, i has been like, there's a glut of back, there's a backlog of titles still. There's still, and people are still trying to get those big star titles out. We're like, well, that doesn't really make sense, anyways, for the spirit of it. It would have been great, but I'm like, I don't think we're gonna be able to find that. And Ryan saw this one because we had a friend that had actually done Dances with. Uh, films like a, a number of people i think we know that have been in this yeah and we like, our, our yeah. editor for both had been on it yeah she loved yeah. it and it was like well that seems like an interesting fit let's let's send the film and see what happens and it's there so yeah we're stoked I'm very excited
2: yeah and, and and the funny thing about it is that you know despite all of the conversations with programmers that often happen trying to get a film into the festival honest to god we talked to some alumni and they're like this is like probably the best indie festival going just send them your film and I was like nobody ever gets into a festival just sending them their film it doesn't happen and and Michael the you know one of the founders of the festival I think he emailed me back like 48 hours after I sent them the link and he's like is the world premiere for this still available and I was like yeah man and I remember asking him I was like but are you guys going to be virtual this year? Because as we had done the music, I, you know, John and I were talking and I made him like, we swore we are not premiering this thing on a, on a stream. Like it's no. gotta be in a theater. And then when he told me that they're playing at the Chinese theaters in Hollywood, I was like, all right, this is like the best, like, this is the best outcome yeah. for this. I can imagine. Yeah. So it, we're like, We have like we have a
0: seven, one, a seven, one soundtrack for this. That is so immersive. Like when we're sitting and we were doing the sound in like, like just doing playbacks and watching it, you can you can literally sit in your seat and just feel the vibration from the music like you're actually live off the floor with the band and the nuances and I'm like you can't you can't experience this at home like it needs to be with a large audience it needs to be like you're watching this as the audience in the film but you also need to feel that so we're like No streaming. No streaming on the first premiere, yeah.
2: And we were lucky too because one of the silver linings of COVID is that it slowed down the process and we just knew that like there wasn't as big of a rush. You know, John said we were in Berlin with an unfinished film trying to sort of get all the pieces lined up. So we really dug into the music and, you know, some of our collaborators were fortunate to work with people that are consistently doing tier A stuff in the sound department. So, we, you know, they got that little bit of extra time on the premixes of the, of the music and putting it all together, and then we were able to get into a big room when they weren't all that busy, you know, and do these mixes in 7-1. So at the end of it, it was like, wow, we really were able to take advantage of this slowdown to build a full theatrical experience in the music and the soundtrack that otherwise, like, never would have been that realistic at this budget, right? Like, we...
1: Right. Well, let's talk about the the budget of the fundraising. You, you This was the, the next step up for you from the micro budget you guys were dealing with on the other genre piece. You know, Canada has a lot more um, assets, right, for funding than we do here in California, which is always boggled my mind <laughs> because California is, you know, helping the studios, but not the Indies.
0: And hey, you have more population than we have up here in Canada. Uh,
1: you know, uh, it, it's something I have to start lobbying for. But, uh, so how did you go about, where did you approach, what was your strategy on looking at acquiring that next chunk of money that got you to that next budget level?
2: So, I mean, one of our strategies was to get away from like shooting in Toronto is very expensive. And, I, and I, I, you know, I've worked on some shows that shoot in Toronto and it's just, it's astronomical. Um, so poor Agnes, you know, part of the reason it worked and we got so much value is because I put the crew into cars and we drove up like 14 hours back to the, my hometown where I took the Greyhound from and we shot there. Um, so And then after that, um, when when we were getting ready to do this, I had gone up to a place called Sault Ste. Marie, which is still in this Northwestern Ontario region, and in line produced a film up there. And there's kind of like a, there's a bit of a boom, and I say a bit, there's actually quite a bit of a boom happening in Northwestern Ontario, um, where Letterkenny, shot, you know, Carter, Cardinal, like Resident Evil was done up there. The Lake is happening right now with Amazon. Um, And part of that is there is some uh, regional funding that's available. So, you know, we were able to tap into that as sort of that first piece of money where they're like, oh, you, we know you now, you're from the region, you support cast and crew up here, you cast locally, let's let's make this happen. And, you know, as you know, that first piece of money is the hardest, right? So we were able to take that and then some of the other incentives that exist with our tax credit system and say, okay, we're kind of piecing this together and um And then there was another, another sort of bit of soft money with a a great fund called Ontario Creates, which has a film fund up here, you know, then they came in and they supported us. And then, you know, we were able to piece, you know, there's some private money at risk, I would say relatively small in the grand scheme of of private money. And then like a lot of these, you know, John and I just had to say like, listen, you know, we're not going to be able to pull the kind of fees out of a budget that, producers want to pull out of a budget, right? So we're, we're putting ourselves at risk to make this happen. Um, you know, and, and, and we did. So we were able to sort of squeak it all together. And uh, off we went.
1: Where do you guys see yourself in um, five years? Where do you see your conjoined partnership, genre films? What's your plan?
0: So we are currently in the middle of building a uh, crypto-based Avod platform. So advertising VOD streaming platform. Um, we already have the backend set up. We've been doing testing on that for, I don't know, about what, four or five months now. It's a plan that we had been looking at doing, I think pre-COVID, uh, we have been looking at kind of how to organize that and put that together. And it was really over the last, I think, year or so, we dove into it, or one of our other partners really got into crypto and kind of understood how it worked, presented us the opportunity to combine the COVID and the VOD, or not COVID, the um, the crypto and the, the VOD platform. Um, and that's and that's really what we've been focusing on for the last bit. And then we have two other titles that we want to bring, um, basically get produced over the next, say, year and a half, two years, if, if we can manage with all the other things we're doing. Uh, get those out, one of which I think is more of a platform uh, title, Cidic, which is going to be a sci-fi. And the other one, which is... How would you how would you describe uh, concession nine? That's the MMA, the the fight, the fighting drama film. Yeah,
2: it's it's actually it's 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 a bit of a genre mashup between uh, like a a fight film and horror. You know, it's it's like a very deep psychological horror, but within the realm of a fighter, which I thought was really interesting.
0: So we're looking to bring those to market. Yeah, yeah, and we're looking to bring those to market and start championing some, uh, start plugging into the the global distribution platform, the AVOD platform, titles which we feel will connect with audiences like really raw, really true titles. So I think, and I mean, going back to our earlier conversation, I mean, Hollywood is built on raw talent. Hollywood was built on like uh, vaudeville. You know, these guys came out and they created this. And like, we need a new source of revenue and started building it around films. It wasn't Mm -hmm. built on, we have to put stars, you know, stars. There were people on stage that they knew the names of and then they were under talent underneath development it just became right. the industry and i'm like why don't we work on that model because that to me gives the audience the highest value they can get you're not just watching it because of name you're watching because there is some true art in there and i think we want to do that with the platform at the end of the day i think that's you know if the, if the message that people could take right. away is when you go on and you see our films you watch our films you're going to get that experience if you go on what we're going to be doing in the future the next five years or ten years that's what we're aiming to do is create that experience so as an audience member you know you have something genuine you're going to care about you're going to have people that you're going to learn about through our platform like talent artists directors that you wouldn't have done if you had just stayed in the regular system so that's yeah right right
1: absolutely well that's 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 i think the way of the future in the independence it's the only way that. I think the independents are gonna survive because they can't compete against, you know, the Marvel franchise, pick one, (laughs) spinoff. And they're not gonna compete against Hollywood and they just can't make those numbers. So it's almost going back to the essence of Hollywood in its golden era where they were discovering the talent, sitting at a coffee shop, which wasn't coffee shops, they were soda shops. drinking their soda pop. So um, what piece of advice can you give um, both of you? I want to hear from both of you uh, to young filmmakers, young producers, young writers uh, out there. I mean,
2: I'll go first on this because one of the great joys of of working when I was, you know, practicing entertainment law is that I got to work with a ton of these people um, and also help them bring these projects to life. And I think like the best advice is like it's never been easier to shoot a feature film which is in some ways good and in some ways challenging but the number of people I've talked to who talk about what they want to do and I'm just like you should do it like scripts are free like if you don't have to hire a WGA writer for a script you can sit down and work on your script and go shoot it on an iPhone and if it's great someone's going to notice and if it's not I guarantee you you'll have learned a ton of things and then you do it again and I think that, to me, like, if you want to be a filmmaker, be a filmmaker. Uh, and I think there's, you know, the, the what really, in my opinion, separates the stuff that I'm really excited about and the stuff I'm not is is the writing, right? It's the narrative piece and the filmmaking piece that goes into it. And you only learn that through doing it. Like, you can't just sit and write scripts. Like, you go out, you produce, and you say, wow, all those things that were great on the page weren't maybe that great on the screen, and, uh, you know, and I know for me as a filmmaker, like every project that I've worked on, I've always left feeling like, okay, I think I'm, I'm, I'm building bigger chops, you know, I'm nowhere close to where I actually want to be, but like, I feel like I'm getting better. And I think that's my advice is like, it's never been easier to go out with like two or three people and just
0: start doing. Uh, it's projects. all excellent advice. Mine is listen to the people around you, trust your talent, trust the people that you work with, be hyper critical of what you want to accomplish. Regardless of people's feelings, that has to be not a part of it because the best way to create excellent work is to f- push everybody to be excellent. Ryan will Ryan will attest to that. I'm, I'm ruthless, like cold and ruthless about it, but also appreciate what everybody brings to it. It's I wouldn't say ruthless, okay, yeah, maybe not totally ruthless, um, only slightly, and, and and appreciate what everybody brings to it. I think that one of the problems that I've always experienced going into this is you when you're starting out. You have this sense of grandeur that you can really do it and accomplish it and sometimes when you get pushed back your ego gets in the way and you get angry and you act out and you think you should be entitled to something you're not and i've i've had this i mean everybody who's been in the business gets pushed back it's like let that go as fast as you can let that go learn to listen learn to really understand what the other side of what the people you're working with are trying to say because Ninety percent of the time, ninety-nine percent of the time, they want to do the best work they can. And if you can't hear that, you're not going to be able to accomplish it. And I think with uh, Happy Sunshine, and there was push pull and a bunch of stuff. I think we really did pull out the best piece out of the out of the text and out of the the performers in the time that we had. I think we did an incredible job, and that was really because of the communication and being able to say step back and say this is this is an ego thing I'm putting in, but this is for the work, and let's do what's best for the work. And, that's that's the advice I can give
2: and have to I don't know how we're doing for time can I talk just a little bit about the happy f and sunshine cast before we go
1: yes in fact uh let's do that now
2: because we sort sort of rushed up against it right
1: yeah you did uh how did you find them how awesome are they what did they uh add to your script that maybe you didn't notice at first talk
2: you know what? I mean, well, I'm like I go on. I mean, here's the thing. So as I said, you know, it's generally not. My advice would not be to try to make an ensemble on an indie budget. Um, and when we were doing this, we sort of realized there was going to be some challenges. So we sort of set out to find how we were going to make this work. And you know, telling everybody who would listen in the business. And finally, someone said, "You really just need to talk to this fellow, Derek Diorio." You know, Derek. this sort of like filmmaker he'd been around he'd moved his whole life up to north bay and was like was dedicated to sort of building the cast and crew up in, in northwestern ontario i was like okay i like this guy already so i met derek and i told him exactly like what we were trying to do and that we were looking to hire a director and he's like he's like you couldn't have come at a better time he's like i kid you not i'm working with this group of actors right now and he referred to them as a golden cohort. He's like, you got to come up. He's like, I'll put. He's like, I will put together a casting session for you. He's like, and it will be as good as anything you will see in Toronto or LA. I give you my word. So of course, another one of my phone calls to John. I don't think he was on a bus this time. And John's like, all right, let's go. So we got in the car and we drove up to North Bay. And I kid you not, like he, uh, like we walked in and Derek's like, hey, yeah, yeah they'll, they'll be here. It's it's the north. They won't be on time, but they'll they'll be here. And these people just started walking in and doing these reads. And he wasn't wrong because what I sort of realized is that they didn't have any of the bad habits that uh, some actors pick up doing a lot of, of, of television or, or different sort of work with, with coaches and stuff. And I'm not shitting on acting coaches, but there are bad habits that you see in, in auditions sometimes. And it was just so raw and like, so honest. And I think like, I don't think any of them were even in, like, ACTRA, which is our, which are our equivalent to SAG up here in Canada. So we just had this, like, incredible cast, except for the, the lead. Uh, and I left there, and I'm like, John, we just cast an entire movie in, like, 30 minutes without a casting director, right? Which was different from Agnes, where Ashley Hallahan did a ton of work and brought us all these crazy people. Um, so at that moment, we're like, okay, we're, we're shooting this in North Bay. Um, You know, we're going to bring Derek on as the director because anybody who can make those performances happen in a casting room is our guy. Like, he's our guy. Uh, And then, you know, we moved it into a bit of, like, I guess like a showrunner sort of model. We're like, okay, Derek, like, here's the world uh, and this is what we want to do. And then he immediately started rehearsing them and bringing it all together. And, you know, what you see on the screen in some cases is so close to what they even just did in the room. And with Matt, you know, who I said you know is our lead and is kind of the textbook prodigy, he didn't even come out to read. And we were like, "Well, we don't really have our lead. Like, is there anybody else around?" I'm like, well, there's this guy. He's done some small stuff, but it's mostly kind of goofy stuff. And he's got some YouTube. And we're like, "All right, send it over." And I was like, "Just get him to read." And he did like a monologue, which was like he was reading a scene where I think he was reading both characters against a white wall. And I was just like, it was it was like it was like watching a young Sean Penn. Like it was the craziest thing. Anyways, as you can tell, I'm very excited about this. These cast, most of whom are coming with us to dances with films. They're all they're all coming down. Matt's coming down. Um, you know, Matea, who like at her audition was like, "Sorry, I'm not very comfortable swearing. I just have to get into character." <laughs> and then you see Ronnie on the screen, and she's just like tearing it up on every screen. Like if there's if there's any justice in the world, these guys are going to go on to do amazing things. And we will help them get there to the extent we can.
1: That's good. That's good. I'm gonna ask one last question that I want you to guys to tell everyone uh, where they can see the film. Uh, what is a dirty little secret that you have learned along your travels that you wish you had known? <laughs> and have only since going, you know, if they had just told me that earlier, it would have been so helpful.
0: So there's this quote from, um... Uh, why can't I remember his name? Uh, David Geffen. Um, And the quote is, what you think, I'm I'm paraphrasing this because I don't have it in front of me, but it's like, what you think the business is, is nothing like what the business actually is. And I read this well before I'd actually broken into it. And when I got on the other side of the table behind the camera producing, and I realized what I was actually doing, it wasn't about being on the carpets, it wasn't being about the face. It wasn't the the conversation that I was having in the public. It was the work. It was like what you're putting in to help develop these artists and that no one actually tells you that when you're going into producing, it's like, you know, you're working with the money, you're working with like what the, the, the story is you're working with all these things, but it's like, you're actually developing the talent, developing talent with them. And it was, it's a huge realization that no one actually tells you that's essentially your job.
2: The, the, the concept of the, the genius auteur is utter bullshit. That's my dirty little secret. It takes a village and cultivating those relationships. Like, you know, Stephanie Avery was our production designer on Poor Agnes and she came back for Happy F and Sunshine. She's incredible. You know, Sydney Cowper, she edited um, Poor Agnes and edited Happy F and Sunshine. And like, without her eye on that cut, it's not the same film you know, like Terry Marcus, who's the other executive producer on the project, right? Like she's been like a friend and mentor to me since the day I said I wanted to start producing. And as we make these, these projects, you know, our, our other, um, our other colleague, Jeff Raffin, you know, who spends like hours doing these soundtracks and leveraging his relationships, like every one of those people, um, sort of makes it and in the beginning when I was you know a really young director it was all about like oh I've got this really cool idea and this is what it's going to be and now you know John can attest I speak far more in intention now where I'm like here's what we're trying to accomplish and I feel like the goal is to get all of these people to sort of work in unison and picking the right people who are you know very talented and committed to the projects like I actually think that's why the projects that just knock it out of the park are knocked out of the park it's really not like necessarily like the brilliant director the, you know you need a good script but like there's always like 20 30 40 people that are top of their game making it happen and I think early on I just didn't quite clue into that until I' started doing this and I was like oh yeah this is this is what you're supposed to do
1: that's awesome thank you guys so much for joining us on best and fast that's Jonathan Lipka and Ryan Keller of happy effing sunshine they're gonna be uh, screening June 10th at Dances with Films in Los Angeles. So if you're here in L.A., uh, come on down and see the screening. What time, Ryan?
0: 9.30.
1: Excellent! 9.30. Thank you so much, Ryan and Jonathan. Best in Fest.
0: Thank you. Appreciate it.